We're in a series on drowning in debt. And, um, you know, it's the number one cause of divorce, uh, you know, worldwide, just and especially in America. The number one cause is not marital unfaithfulness, but it's money. People fight over money. And I remember growing up that, you know, my parents did. I, I grew up poor. I mean, we were just like, you know, poor, poor. And... Um, I, just about every fight that I can remember that my mom and dad had, even though I, I grew up poor and didn't have a, a whole lot, I know my mom and dad that they loved each other and they loved me. I mean, my dad, I, there's no question in my mind how much my dad loved me. I mean, one of the things that he did every morning before we'd, he'd leave for work is he'd embrace me and hug me and kiss me and my younger brother as well. And the same thing as soon as he hit the door in the evening. So there was a lot of love in, in our home. But when it came to problems in the home, all of the problems, and I can't remember even one of them being over anything else except money problems and being in debt. And so uh, we're in this series called Drowning in Debt. And this morning I've got just a, uh, I want to do a, uh, I want to share that scripture that so many, many of you asked me about last, uh, over the last couple of weeks from Deuteronomy 28. And then I've got a, just kind of just give a brief recap on uh, what we talked about last week. And then I've got about, a, um, a, I think it's about a 15-minute video by Dave Ramsey that we'll uh, show. And then at the end of that video, I'll, I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray God breaks financial bondage in your life. But this scripture comes from Deuteronomy 28. And, uh, you know, I, I've had many young people, you know, ask me, you know, the secret to success. And, you know, I've had a lot of success in business in my life, in the real estate business and developing and, I mean, ranching, just, just about, just like God has blessed my life. I wake up every day, and not because of those things, those are part of it, but I look at my family, my wife, and my children, and honestly, I do say this. I think, I wake up in the morning, I think, God, I am the most blessed man on the face of the earth. I honestly say that. I mean, I really do. I think that. I think you should think that. Not, not about me, but about you. I think, I, think, I think that you should wake up in the morning and say, God, I'm the most blessed person on the face of the earth because of what you've done in my life. So let's begin with this passage of Scripture. This is a great, great passage of Scripture. It's one that you've got you to gotta be able to flip to. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves. It's like, you know, it's like we forget. I mean, we start going through life, and it's like, well, wait a minute. What does God's Word say about this? What does God's Word say about money and finances? And, you know, there's a way that, uh, as I mentioned last week, you know, before we were saved, we all thought we knew how to get to heaven. You know, be a good person, do good deeds, do all of these things. Well, let me tell you this. Once we came to realize that we didn't know what we were doing, we, what we were thinking was wrong, and we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and a lot of Christians just stop right there. They stop with salvation. But there are a lot of principles in God's Word about living, and one of the greatest principles in there is about money. It's about finances, uh, biblical finances, God's way. Finances God's way. I mean, so uh, let's just start. It says that if, notice that first word, if. You see it up there? Where is that? All right. If. If. Okay. Everybody say if. All right. If you fully obey the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all of his commands, I give you today. This is Moses kind of giving the children of Israel 
the, you know, the blessings of the Lord. This is called Deuteronomy 28. It's called the blessing and the curse chapter in the Bible. It says, all of these blessings will come upon you. And, and if you look that up, and this is what I said, it's not, if, the, the literal translation of that is that, okay, here's a little blessing here, here's a little blessing there, here's a little, no, that's not what it means. It means that these blessings that I'm about to read to you are going to run you down like a freight train. And I, I mean, they're going to run over you, and they're going to pass you, and I mean, you're just going to be just you know, just inundated by the blessings of God. It's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, a storm is coming. A storm of blessing is coming your way. And that's what we want. We want to be blessed by God. But it starts out with the first word, if. And then he says that all of these blessings will come upon you and they will accompany you. There's that word again, if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city if you're a businessman. You will be blessed in the country if you're a farmer. The fruit of your womb, speaking about your children, will be blessed. And your crops and your lands will be blessed. And the young of your livestock and your calves and your herds and your lambs and your flocks and your baskets and your kneading troughs will be blessed. And you will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. And the Lord will grant that your enemies, any of you got some enemies in your, your life, Yes, we, you know, we do. Sometimes we do. We know that we have one great enemy of our soul. There's an enemy of our soul. But the Lord will grant the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will be defeated before you. They will come to you from uh, one direction but flee from you in seven directions. And the Lord will send blessings upon your barn and everything that you set your hand to do. How many of you want that in your life? Man, I do. I do. I want those blessings of God in my life. He says, and the Lord will, um, lost my spot. Uh, the Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you, and the Lord will establish you as a holy people as he promised you on an oath. If, again, you keep the commands in the, of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. And then all the people of the earth, and God, this is what God's saying. He's not going to do this so that all the people of the earth will see that you are called by my name and they will fear you and the Lord will grant you abundant, what's it say? Prosperity. God will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, in your young, in your livestock, in your crops, your grounds, the land that he swore to give to your ancestors. Um, and then it says, and I want you to listen to this carefully, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and he will send rain on your land in season and bless all of the work of your hand. And you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Here's that word again. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you this day, and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top and never at the bottom. And I know some of you, are, you're, at, you're at the bottom right now, and you think you can never get out. And I'm going to tell you that there's a way to get out. There's a way to get out, and we're going to talk about that. But he says, do not turn aside from any of the commands that I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. And so... You know, he's saying, you know, he wants us to be obedient to his word. 
And as we are obedient, as we obey his word, God's saying that he will pour out blessings on our life. But I want to go back to uh, a verse, verse 12 that I just read. It says, the Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, and send rain on your land. I remember last week, and I'm not going to talk about that too much today, but out of Malachi, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it. You see the similarity in those two? I mean, one is in Deuteronomy, and one is in Malachi, and both of them are talking about being obedient, opening up the heavens and pouring out. It's like you don't even know where it's coming from. You don't even know where this is coming from. And then we talked about Psalm 35, because I know that a lot of times when we start talking about about, uh, finances, let me just say this. I just want to make this one thing clear, that what I'm teaching is not a... It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. And I don't think God wants everybody, he's not trying to make everybody rich, but I tell you what he wants you to have is he wants you to have a blessed life. And he wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have enough for yourself and enough to give. Enough to live and enough to give. That's what God wants. He wants you to have enough to live and enough to give. And he says that... uh, let them, this is Psalm 35, and many of you don't even know this verse is in the Bible. This is another one you ought to write down. By the way, if you missed last week's message, you can just uh, go to our website. All of these are recorded. You can listen to them again. You, some of you need to listen to them over and over. It's just that, that repetition of hearing the Word of God and let it, you know, sinking deep into your heart. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad. It's talking about God's people. It says, Uh, favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them continually say. God's saying this. He says, let my people continually say, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. I mean, I didn't write this. This is God's word. This is coming from the word of God. And God's saying that he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Well, now let me just tell you, just a little warning right here. Remember what Jesus says that he's talking about? He said, those that are faithful in little will be faithful in much. And, and you, you can be praying, you know, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. If you're not being faithful with what God has given you right now, why would he give you more so you can be more unfaithful with it? Hello? Okay. That, all right, so if you're faithful with what he's giving you, he's going to give you more because he's saying, this is someone I can trust. This is someone that's like, it's got it. Not only here, but here as well. And I will give them more so they can continue to do my work. And if you read, just make a footnote of this, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he talks about, when I bring you into the land and I bless you in the land, I give you houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant and wells that you didn't dig, don't begin to think, hey, man, what a man I am. I am a self-made man. I mean, I I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I did it all by myself. And he says, don't be thinking that. He says, you better remember where this came from. 
You better remember that the Lord your God gave you this. Don't forget the Lord your God when you receive these blessings. And then he goes on to say why he's giving the blessing. And that's what I want you to read. You're going to have to read that on your own. All right. So, this verse right here, from Proverbs 22, verse 7. Guys, I want, you to, I want you to have this memorized like you have John 3.16 memorized for salvation. All right? When we talk about salvation, for God so loved the world, all of you can say it. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's one of the first verses that you learned probably as a Christian coming to the Lord regarding salvation. Let me tell you one of the first verses that you should learn regarding biblical finances, and that comes from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. And then last week, um, we talked a little bit about Nehemiah chapter 5. But let me just say this, that 16... Of the 38 parables, and I told you this last week, that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. You take heaven and hell combined, all the scriptures that talk about heaven and hell, you put them all together, he talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possession in the Gospels. An amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possession. You think God's trying to say something to us? I believe that he is. I believe that he is. And if we can just get it, if you can get it, you'll get it. So, all right, Um, so just quickly, Nehemiah chapter 5, we we started just quickly, if if you weren't here last week, those of you that were here, just a quick refresher, Uh, they're building the wall, but the the people in Nehemiah chapter 5, they are so in debt, they are so poor that they have mortgaged their houses. Some of them have even had to mortgage or sell off their children as slaves because they didn't have enough money to eat. They couldn't pay their taxes. They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't keep their houses. And God, God, listen, there's no honor to God if you're in poverty. Absolutely none. There's no honor in that. But if you have enough to live and you have enough to give, and people understand that you're a Christian, that brings honor to the Lord as you give, you, as you live to give. All right. And so, uh, you know, how do you know if you're in financial bondage? We talked about this last week. Let me go through it quickly. It says that you have to charge. You don't have cash, but you have to charge just the basic necessities of life. You know, gasoline and clothes and paying your electric bill. You, you have to charge all of that, put it on plastic. You have to borrow money to, uh, to pay fixed expenses. Talking about car payments and phone and cable and even your house payments. This is how you know you're in financial bo- uh, bondage. Or creditors writing or calling you for money. 
Um, number four, are you tempted to be dishonest about money? Number five, do you ever say, I can't afford to tithe? I can't afford to bring the whole 10% in. Number six, is said, do you and your spouse ever argue over money? Some of you, yes, is the answer. We all do. Is number seven, do you know how much you really owe? Do you really know how much you really owe? I mean, do you have enough? Do you, have you, you know, are your expenses more than your income? You know, are, are your outgo, the money that you send out every month, when you sit down to write bills, is it more than you're bringing in? That's how you know you're in financial bondage. And the Bible says that we should know that. Do you know what it takes to survive each week? Do you know how much money you need to live on? Again, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. And I want to, there, as I mentioned, hundreds and hundreds of scripture in the New Testament that Jesus gave that talks about money. I'm going to read one of those to you today, and we've always read this scripture is re, with regard to uh, forgiveness. And while it applies to forgiveness you're going to be able to see some of the scriptural principles about money in this as I read it. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, or excuse me, chapter 18. It says, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted, here we go, He's talking about grace, and he's talking about forgiveness, but the way that he describes it, the example that he used, or that he uses, is money. And he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a king that wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And he began to begin the settlement. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold uh, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and all that he had be sold, that would be sold into slavery, okay? You guys realize that, you know, in the early history of this country, they had what was called debtor's prison? You guys, any, I don't, you guys realize that? If you couldn't pay your bills here in America, you went to what was called debtor's prison. And while you were in debtor's prison, they would farm you out to work. And you would not only pay the money back that you owed, but you would also pay for your room and board that while you were at the debtor's prison. And so uh, Google it. Look it up. Debtor's prison in America. He says, um, so one guy owes him 10,000 bags of gold, but since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children be sold into slavery. Would we say the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. This guy and his wife and all of his children should be sold into slavery to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. But the servant's master, oh, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled, just, for, just forgave the entire debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, remember, we started out 10,000 bags of gold he had just been forgiven, but now he goes to a guy that owes him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
and his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. And he almost says the identical words, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison, a slave thrown into, into prison until he could pay the back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called that servant in and he said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had uh, mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now you see how Jesus uses a parable on forgiveness and grace and uses money as an illustration to explain this parable. We're going to watch just a, about a 15-minute clip of video, Jacob. And uh, if you guys will hit the lights. Uh, and then after this is over, I'm going to come back up, and our worship team is going to come back up as well, and we'll close with a song and a prayer. Tool to be used for on radio. That garbage, too. Oh, you guys are good. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, I tell you what, you know, I go around the world teaching all over the place, teaching people all about this idea of debt. And the idea that if you could get out of debt, you'd have some money. If you didn't have any payments, you'd have some money. And, and, and people look at me with two different problems with that. One is they get all sophisticated and academic. They start talking about, well, Dave, there's, there's good debt. There's good debt, and, and Wall Street has proven that recently. <laughs> Dave, Dave, debt is a tool to be used for your good. And, you know, I used to believe that garbage, too. I was in college, and they used to teach us this stuff about leverage and internal rates of return and net present values. And I'm not against education. I mean, my financial education is part of where I am now. Academia is a good thing. But you can't believe everything you hear to the extent it doesn't line up with this. Because, you know, I got to thinking, the borrower is truly slave to the lender. That's not a, we're not kidding about that. God's truth says that every single time. And I got to thinking about it, and I'm thinking, who was it taught me that borrowing money was good? This was my finance professor in college who was broke. <laughs> a broke finance professor is like a shop teacher with missing fingers. You see, if you want to win, you ought to try finding some people that are winning and emulate or mimic what they are doing. If you hire a personal trainer and you walk in the first morning and your personal trainer is 400 pounds, we got a problem. <laughs> if you've written a book on marriage and you've been married 14 times, bless your heart, I hope this one sticks, but I don't want to read your book. <laughs> I was with a couple the other day that were 87 years old. Been married 60 some odd years. You want to be married, that's who you ask. You ask him, how you married to her 60 something years, she don't kill you. <laughs> Men want to know these things. Find a winner and emulate what they're doing. If you study, Forbes magazine has the 400 wealthiest people in North America that it publishes every year. 67% of them, 7 out of 10 of them, are first generation rich. They started with nothing, became wealthy. 
When they surveyed the wealthiest people in North America, not your broke brother-in-law with an opinion, but the 400 wealthiest people in North America, and they asked them what the most important key to becoming wealthy was, 75% of them said getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Hmm. But broke people always got a plan for a payment, don't they? Because broke people always want a car that they can't afford. They always want a stereo that they can't afford. They always want some clothing or a vacation that they can't afford. And let me tell you how you can tell if you can afford it. You have the money to pay for it. Unless you have the money, that by definition is you can't afford it. Because when you go into debt, then you're hooked to those payments. Now you're a slave. Jesus said it's tough to serve two masters. So what are we going to do about this? How are we going to get out? Well, we want to talk about breaking the bondage of debt and how you really do it in a real practical, hands-on, real-world application. See, the truth is that if you spread a lie or a myth often enough, loud enough, and with enough sophistication, eventually people will begin to believe it. And they will, they will tell other people about the lie. And it's not that they meant to lie. They just believed a lie and they spread it. It happens all the time. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Everybody stand up for a second. Now, here's what I want you to do. I need you to close your eyes. I can see all of you, and I will mess with you if you don't follow my instructions. I need you to close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, I want you to play my games. I promise not to mess with you so long as you play. If you're wrong, I won't make fun of you. If you don't play, I will totally pick on you, and we'll point the camera right at you. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. With your eyes closed, I want you to take your best guess with your eyes closed and point north. No, sir, up does not count. <laughs> if you're wrong, it's okay, but give us your best guess. This is funny. Open your eyes and look around. Uh-oh. Somebody's wrong. Well, apparently some of you aren't lost because according to my compass, north is this way. Now we have people pointing this way and this way, and a couple are pointing this way. Now we're taping this in Oklahoma, and so if you want to go to Canada, north is going to be this way. You can get to Canada this way, but it's the long way around. <laughs> you can argue about this, but you'll be wrong. You can start your own denomination, but you'll be wrong. <laughs> this is north. Now, I didn't know either. I've got a compass. I cheated. But you know what? You and I have got a compass. And it's not cheating to not be lost. Everybody have a seat. See, what has happened with this is debt has been marketed to us so aggressively, so thoroughly, with such sophistication and such manipulation for so long that Americans and people all around the world have begun to believe all deep down within their heart that they will never financially be somebody unless they use debt to do it. Debt is the path to prosperity. If you want your good car, son, you've got to build your credit. You'll never be anybody unless you build your credit. We, in, in America, we worship at the altar of the FICO score. Oh, great FICO, our provider. FICO, thank you, FICO. How'd you get that? Oh, Mr. FICO sent it. It was because of my FICO. I work really hard to keep my FICO up. And your FICO is a, is a mathematical algorithm that, that shows how you interact with debt. When you quit borrowing money, your FICO score will erode. How am I going to live? See, we worship at the altar of debt. We think debt is our provider. Now, I don't want to get all religious or crazy on you, but, you know, it turns out God's your provider. 
And no, that sounds kind of bizarre sometimes when you say it. it sounds like, you know, some kind of preacher guy or something. But he really is your provider. It really is where it comes from. And sometimes he provides you with two hands and a brain to work. Those that don't work, don't eat. I read that. The diligent prosper, not the lazy at home watching TV. That, you know, that, it's in there. I mean, he, he chose you. I mean, it's not like he's just going to roast the duck and throw it in your back window. you got to go kill it and cook it, you know. <laughs> but, but God is your provider. That's how this stuff works. And debt has been marketed to us so thoroughly that we now believe it's our provider. And to imagine living without debt requires a complete paradigm shift, a completely new way of looking at things. Let's play with some new ways of looking at things. If you get a new way of looking at things, you know what's happened? Learning occurred. That's how you get a new way of looking at things. That's why when you read Scripture and then five years later you read the same Scripture and you go, whoa, I never thought about it that way. Why? Because you have a new way of looking at things. You had new eyes to see the exact same words and truth. They leap off the page, grab you around the neck, and you go, oh, okay, I got it now. It gives you a different feel, doesn't it? And you could just kind of blow past it other times, and then other times you go, Wow. And it's in there. So that's a new way of looking at things. That's, that, that is learning. And that's what we're doing in here. We're learning today. God's ways of handling money. God's ways of getting out of debt. And so here's one. Let's look at this one. How many of you see the white candlestick or the vase in the middle? Look, it's right there in the middle. Raise your hand when you see it. I'll wait till everyone sees it and raises your hand. It's white. It's in the middle. Raise your hand when you see it. I'll wait. It's there. Okay, good. Now, how many of you see two faces looking at each other? Good. How many of you see two people getting ready to kiss? Sex fiends. Okay, now. Here's another one. Men, I'll warn you about this one. I've been married 27 years, and you better watch your punctuation. A woman without her man is nothing. A woman without her man is nothing. A woman without her man is nothing. It's all in the way you look at it. And you better look at it right if you're smart, boys. There's, that's, you know, it, it, you get a new way of looking at things because now you've been taught punctuation matters. Here's another one. You've got to look at this one really careful. If you look at it careful, you'll see it. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. My wife Sharon and I, we got out of school. We got married. No, this is not marriage. <laughs> we had a little bit of student loan debt and a lot of money on our Amico card because I bought a couch on my Amico card. I don't think you're supposed to do that, but the guy at the fleet market said it was okay. Um, <laughs> and we started off our lives and we were eating off a card table, driving a 1902 Pinto, and, and we were trying to get going and, and we needed a television. We needed a television. So I went down to the electronic store and I got 90 days same as cash because I had no cash. And I was a finance major and so I'm going to get this free money, zero interest because I'm so smart. By the way, 80% of 90 days same as cash doesn't pay off in 90 days and transfers to high interest loans at your local finance company, 24 to 38% with a prepayment penalty just to go ahead and kick you one more time to remind you how dumb you were. Most people don't pay it off in 90 days. And if you don't pay it off in 90 days, by the way, the 90 days isn't free either. They backcharge you through that for the interest. It's how it works. It's a game. It's called fishing. Right? That's the deal. And so we started off our lives that way, and we went and bought a television. Then I went and bought a car I wanted that my wife, I thought, needed. 
Yeah, some of you guys have bought a car that you wanted that you thought your wife needed. <laughs> yeah, you blamed it on her, in other words, right? And, and then we went to get a house. Get a house, get a house, get a house, get a house. You've got to get a house if you don't get a house. Oh, you don't want to be a renter. Renters are evil. <laughs> renters' salvation is in jeopardy. You do not want to be a renter because this is the way our culture talks, isn't it? You'll never be anybody. Get a house, get a house, get a, get a house, get a house. You know what happens when broke people get a house? They get broker. That's why they call them real estate brokers. <laughs> a house is not a blessing when you're broke. It'll take you apart and take you down. So if you want to get a house, do some stuff about money that the Bible says so you're not broke anymore, and then go get you a house. But I didn't do that. I've been married about 15 minutes. People are in my living room going, you need to get a house. Get a house, get a house, get a house, get a house. And so we went and found a house with nothing down because that's how much we had to put down. They called it creative financing, which if you look it up in the Greek means too broke to buy a house. And so we bought a house about three blocks over from where I grew up. Larry Burkett used to say we spend the first five to seven years of our marriage trying to attain the same standard of living as our parents. Only it took them 35 years to get there. I lived in the same neighborhood as mom and dad, had a better car than mom and dad, and for sure had a better TV and stereo system than mom and dad. 52% of the marriages end in divorce in North America today. Of those that divorce, the number one cause is money fights and money problems. Of those that divorce in the first seven years of marriage, 90% say money caused it. Young marriages are falling apart everywhere. You know why? When you're like this, your leg gets tired. <laughs> they come in our office, they look like this all the time for financial counseling. Dave, can you get me out? <laughs> when I went broke and started over, I discovered this was the truth. That the borrower is slave to the lender is the truth. Regardless of how you feel, this is the truth. And so regardless of what somebody, I mean, one of the benefits of going broke is I didn't care what anybody thought anymore. You get over, worry about what people think. And you just go do whatever. And if they laugh at you, you just go, well, that's good. You just keep laughing. And you just keep going. And so I just kept going. And people made fun of me. Dave, you're not, you're a simpleton. You're not very sophisticated. The financial world thinks I'm a wiener in a steakhouse, you know. And my net worth six times what any one of theirs is. You know, I mean, isn't it amazing? It's a concept. But we got out of these things, and I want to show you how. How do you get out? Well, the first thing was I discovered, I was, I was reading through Proverbs. If you read Proverbs over and over and over again, you get a master's degree in finance. It's amazing. There's 31 Proverbs, so you can read one a day. Just get your little spiritual one a day. And so I'm doing my little spiritual one a day one morning, and I've read through this a bazillion times, and I've heard this. People call in on my radio show. They're getting out of debt, and they say, I'm getting out of debt. They have this thing in their voice that tells me that they're going to make it. And then the others, they call in, they're like, well, dude, sort of kind of like maybe this strategy, and maybe it'll work sort of maybe. So what sort of do you do? I'm like, well, I can't help you. Call me back. I didn't know what it was, but I said, like, call me back when you're mad or something, you know? you got to get that thing going, you know? And I couldn't put my finger on it, and I was reading through Scripture one morning, and, and I hit Proverbs 6, 1 through 7. And it says, if you've signed surety, my son, which is Old English Bible talk, forgot yourself in debt. If you've gotten yourself in debt, do this. 
Now, I teach people how to get out of debt, and I wanted to get out of debt, and so I saw a do this, and my little ears went, oh, 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 because I had a spiritual experience a few years ago. I discovered God is smarter than me. <laughs> and when he says, you're here and you don't want to be here, so do this, I'm listening for what comes after that. That's a big deal. If you're in debt, biblically, do this. Give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. And deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, a bird from the hand of the fowler. And I promise you, it's not very reverent, but I promise you I went, great, gazelles. What am I going to do with gazelles? Great little animal metaphor, talk about it in Sunday school. But, I mean, how are you going to talk to people about gazelles and death? This doesn't. That night, God answered my prayer. I was scanning the channels, and I hit the Discovery Channel. And there on the Discovery Channel, there was the gazelles. They were out there gazelling around. <laughs> and what were they doing? Well, I said, well, you know, here it is. There's the gazelles. And you know the gazelles were not there by themselves, right? You know somebody else was around, right? Looking for lunch in all the right places. And gazelles, they have a cheetah detector right behind their ear. When they see a cheetah, they go like, uh-oh, cheetah! Run! Now, the Discovery Channel said that the, the cheetah is the fastest animal on dry land. We had to slow this down so I'd have time to talk. He goes from zero to 47 miles an hour in four leaps. Now, it's starting to come clear to me. Here's how you get out of debt. You deliver yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter. The primary predator of the gazelle is the cheetah. Here's how you get out of debt. You run! You gotta bust it! You gotta look, he picked out the college student, didn't he? Hey, hey, you want a free hat? Hey, I'll give you a t-shirt. Just sign up for this credit card. You want a pizza? Hey, come here, kid. You need to build up your FICO score. Come here, kid. That was how you get out of debt. You gotta run, baby. You gotta put it in gear. You gotta go, 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 go. Kick it, baby, kick it. You know how long we had to look for a clip where he gets away? <laughs> the truth is that the cheetah doesn't catch the gazelle, but one in 19 times, and yet he can outrun him. Isn't that weird? What a great metaphor. Cheetah's after your family. Run! This is how you get out of debt. You pop it. Around our place, we find out that people get out of debt when they get gazelle intensity. When they quit caring what their broke friends think and their family who needs counseling thinks. They quit worrying about everybody else's opinion about what they drive. And they sell, they amputate the $40,000 Tahoe. And they're driving a hoopty. <laughs> a piece of junk. They're going to drive like no one else so that later they get to drive like no one else. Because they want to change their family tree. They want to send their kids to college. They want to change how their grandkids live and their great-grandkids live. A godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. They want to change and they get fired up. When you get fired up, you'll get out of debt. You can wander into debt, honey, but you can't wander out. you got to bust it. The, the, the gravitational pull is too strong. It holds you in the orbit. You have to kick the energy to break the orbit. It's the only chance you make it. And if you do, if you do it long enough, eventually you get to chase the cheetah. <laughs> Thank you, Photoshop. All right, guys.
We're going we're, we're gonna to stop right there. We'll pick up next week.